I've been thinking about Christmas carols recently. It's, um, it's really not too early. Six months from today is the first Sunday of Advent. From there, it's only 23 shopping days until Christmas. The carol I have in mind is Good King Wenceslas. The lyrics were written in 1853 by John Mason Neal, a high churchman, uh, a name familiar at least to the monastic community because he's the translator of many of the hymns we sing for the divine office. And the tune dates back to 13th century Sweden. The carol tells the story of Saint King Wenceslas braving the cold and snow of midwinter Bohemia to bring food to the poor. So, good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen when the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even. Stephen, in the second line of the carol, is the same Stephen we meet in the first reading from Acts. And the snow is deep and crisp and even because the feast of St. Stephen, deacon and proto-martyr, is celebrated on December 26th, the day after Christmas. It's a curiosity of the Roman liturgy that on Christmas Day, we make Mary sing carols and wear the white vestments that symbolize joy over the birth of the infant of Bethlehem. And 24 hours later, we wear red vestments, the color of the blood of the shed by the martyrs uh, who, who died at the hands of a lynch mob, I mean, in this case, Stephen. This is hard, well, this is meant to remind us this, is, this child of Bethlehem will meet a similar fate at the hands of yet another lynch mob on Good Friday. The other similarity is that before their death, both Jesus and Stephen will commend themselves to God and pray for forgiveness for their murderers. St. Luke is making these connections very deliberately. He wants us to see that the death of Jesus is the model for all Christian martyrs. But there is another connection between Stephen and the Lord Jesus that is not as obvious, and that has to do with the temple. The temple in Jerusalem was one of the central symbols of Jewish faith and life, the most sacred site in Judaism, the focus of Israel's worship, her identity, and her hope. At the heart of the temple, hidden behind a veil woven with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, completely in the dark, was the Holy of Holies. This is where God dwelt among his covenant people, where heaven and earth came together in a single place. From there, God's holiness radiated out in larger and larger circles that made all of Israel a holy land. But the temple also served other purposes. It was a central bank for taxes and tithes, a depository for records of debt, a center of political life, a Roman military fortress, and a slaughterhouse for animal sacrifice. Put it all together, and that means that the temple was more than the sum of its parts. And that is why both Jewish and Roman authorities paid close attention to whatever happened there. Any threat to the temple, even a symbolic one, was seen as a threat to Israel's existence and therefore dealt with harshly. All four Gospels report that when the Lord Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin the night, of his, the night before he was crucified, or perhaps early in the morning of Good Friday, 
he was charged with blasphemy. Some of that had to do with the cleansing of the temple when Christ drove out the money changers. At his trial, witnesses were produced who claimed that Christ had spoken against the temple, saying, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Attack the temple, call its importance into question, threaten its existence, and you threaten Israel's hope and existence. And more than that, you attack God himself. If this is what God, the Lord Jesus, crucified, then it also explains why St. Stephen was stoned to death, because he was preaching Christ risen from the dead, made the temple irrelevant. Jesus had become the true place of encounter with the living God. And that meant that heaven and earth were held together no longer in a building, but in Jesus' human flesh. The official response to that claim was as swift as it was brutal. So what does it all mean? It's a, it, 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 the answer is everything. It, it's not accidental that the story of Stephen's martyrdom appears in the week leading up to Pentecost. The Holy Spirit that is poured out in the church is a spirit of prophecy, but it is also a spirit of holiness. Theologically speaking, however, only God is holy. The Hebrew word for holy is kadesh. It means to be separate, to be completely other, totally transcendent. God cannot be limited by nouns, adjectives, or verbs in any language ever spoken on the planet. What St. Stephen is preaching is that the Lord Jesus himself is the new and perfect manifestation of the presence of God. His human flesh is the living temple of Israel's transcendent God. If that were all there was, it would probably be enough. But it goes a little further. Christ wills that what he is, we become. This is what we call, we will be celebrating next Sunday. The spirit of Pentecost poured out on the church makes us Christ's body in space and time. And therefore, we are also living temples of God's glory. Holiness is a goal of Catholic life, but that holiness takes on a special character for us because unlike God, our holiness does not make us different from the world. It does make us different within the world. This is what St. Stephen, deacon and martyr, gave his life in witness to, that the glory of Israel's God is to be sought and found in the risen flesh of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.